Hello and welcome to this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield University in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast will share these stories through oral history interviews that we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy these stories. All right, my name is Rich Schmidt. I'm here with Diquette Bramlett. Uh, we're at uh, Mac Market. Uh, it's March 9th, 2021. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah. We appreciate this. Thank you for having me. First question, let's get it going with why wine? Oh man. Well, wine has, I mean, always been a part of my family. Um, not necessarily in the industry, but always around at the table. And I was, <laughs> my family is interracial. My dad is from Holland. And uh, growing up in Europe, one of the big things was always having the cocktails and, you know, enjoying a glass before everybody sits down for dinner. And I always loved how everybody would gather around and it was revolved around wine. And uh, everything would always start out with talking about the wine and what they're tasting and obviously it would devolve into something completely different you know but i always loved the conversations that they would have there was always so much joy behind that uh, but also they would have really deep and philosophical conversations and it was always surrounding the wine so for me it was just always a part of the picture saying that you know you can have these great community moments at the table and have some real heart-to-hearts I thought it was a beautiful thing I love that yeah so let's talk a little bit about your kind of your upbringing education pre pre wine life so tell me about where, oh where, you, where you grew up and, uh, and kind of your early life yeah so I grew up in Northern California in a town called Saratoga um, it's about an hour south of San Francisco but right in the heart of Silicon Valley um, and I was born and raised there. Um, like I said before, my dad was from Holland, so every summer we would go back to Europe and we would spend about three months there to visit family and to be able to travel around. So that was a real privilege to be able to have that where, you know, we'd get in the car when we got to Holland and he would say, where are we going to go? And sometimes we would drive to France. We would drive around Germany. And so getting to have that different aspect was really great. Um, and then when I went to college, um, I went to Chapman University down in Orange County, um, right by Disneyland. It was great. <laughs> and um, I was a vocal performance major along with organizational leadership. So I was a classical major. I sang opera. Um, and it was fantastic because my very first experience with them, um, they shipped me off to Australia to sing the Carmina Burana for the Prime Minister there and I was 18. <laughs> so it was a whole new experience for me. And um, having your first real professional experience be at the Sydney Opera House is something that you don't really forget. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a great experience. My vocal coach he always had us sing in Italian restaurants because he wanted us to drink a little bit. He said, "Wine gives you courage," so he would buy he would buy huge vats of wine and you know pour a couple glasses. And he's like, "Okay, get up there, sing your piece for us. Let's see what you got. Sing for your supper." And um, it was we had a great time with that. And it was just it was a fantastic experience to have that. And again, wine always being still in the picture for mm -hmm. us. Mm -hmm. So 
At what point does wine become something you want to do on a professional level? What point do you get interested in that? What were you doing before that, if, if anything? Yeah, so before that, um, I was still singing. Um, and then a week after I graduated from college, I got hit by a semi-truck driver. Oh. And I found out that I had cancer. So I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer and... Um, that really became my focus where a lot of my friends were off going to their graduate programs and exploring the world and discovering I was having to deal with some health issues and so I was benched for a while because of that obviously and was dealing with all of that and the surgeries and the treatments um, but during that time my mom would always go wine tasting in central California and my dad wasn't a big drinker, so he would always just drive us around. <laughs> so he loved going to taste the food if that was available. Um, but I always just loved the way the people were talking about the wine. I always found it fascinating how they would break it down. And I loved being able to nerd out with people about the soil and the root stock and t talking about what they're tasting in the glass compared to what my mom was tasting in the glass. And it was something that just always stuck with me. So when it came time to start figuring out what I wanted to do next, and I was still kind of traveling for singing, I wasn't really sure if I wanted to keep doing it, my mom had encouraged me to really look into the wine side of things and say like, why not explore it? If you're into it, great. If not, then at least you have this additional knowledge for yourself to be able to share. Mm -hmm. So I started taking some courses down in Southern California at the Wine House <laughs> and um, got my certification. And the gentleman that I was working with at the time there who was acting as my mentor had said like, I don't know if restaurant life is for you because you like to facilitate a whole different experience. You really like that one-on-one -on -one communication with somebody to make sure that they have the best experience. Maybe looking at wineries would be something for you. Mm -hmm. And he would take me tasting. He took me down to Temecula. He took me to Central California again in Santa Barbara area. Um, but nothing really pulled me like when he did our blind tasting of Willamette Valley and that really stuck with me. So he was like, maybe, maybe Oregon is the place for you to explore. That's just something to think about. And so my mom kept saying like, let's get the health checklist done first and then you can look at that, but let's stay focused here right now. Um, and he was fantastic. I had a fantastic guy down there, uh, Massimo. He was amazing. And he really took his time with me because I was the only one in that class at the time that had never been in the wine industry. Mm -hmm. Everybody had years experience. And I'm sitting in the back saying, I think I'm tasting apricot. And he's like, that's great. Like, you know, and he was like, what else are you tasting? And um, he would really take a lot of one-on-one -on -one time with me, which was fantastic. And it just made me fall more and more in love with wine and what it can do and the emotions that it evokes from a person. Mm -hmm. I just, I absolutely love. Talk about the process of learning wine for you. Obviously you grew up around it, you're surrounded by it, but not in any kind of like educational sense or, no. or, or sensorial sense. So tell me about learning the, the, the regions and the varietals and the, and the flavors. And you talked about the Willamette Valley speaking to you. I'm yeah. curious, like, what was that process like for you? How did you learn the most? So for me, it was really being inquisitive and asking a lot of people on the other side of the bar. 
Um, some people didn't respond well to being quizzed like that, um, but I just had such a curiosity to want to learn more about it. So a lot of the times they would bring out the winemaker who would say, well, do you want to come back into the barrel hall for a second and check things out? Do you want to do some barrel tasting? And I was like, well, let's go. Like, what are we waiting for? And, um, and it was a great experience. And then being able to walk through the vineyard with somebody and start talking about the different soils and mm -hmm. all of that. Mm -hmm. I just found it so incredibly fascinating. So they told me to purchase the wine Bible and just to start reading that as just to give myself a foundation. And that was like, I mean, a piece of heaven for me, for my brain that made me so happy to be able to sit and read that and take notes and you know just for myself for my mm -hmm. own personal knowledge mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh, once the time came that my doctors had given me the clearance to say you can start actively drinking wine if you want to that's when I started looking for courses to take so I signed up with the North American Sommelier Association to really get started and that's where the true tasting process began of because I kept saying well I don't think that I would ever be able to differentiate between AVAs and you know the different varietals and he was like well you've never been taught so mm -hmm. of course not mm -hmm. and we started tasting things side by side in different regions and I was like this is unbelievable what I am tasting right now and once I started to recognize the fact of like just how sensitive my palate was that's when all of a sudden it just opened up a new door for me of saying like anybody can do this you really just have to be taught you have to be given the language and the tools and that's where I was like oh I I want to do this I want to be able to help people on this journey because wine was always considered such an intimidating thing and something that we couldn't approach because we didn't know particular vocabulary and particular language. And I realize it's really not as complicated as we like to make it seem. And I want people to have a good time and when they walk out of that tasting room to feel empowered. So I was like, if I can be a tool for that for somebody else, that would be an incredible opportunity for me and the day he had us taste um, Washington and Oregon was where it just like the light bulb went on for me and he was cracking up because I gave Willamette Valley like the highest marks like across the board and he was like I think you like Oregon <laughs> like I was like that might be something to uh, pay attention to and I was like okay okay I'll remember that one <laughs> So that, at that point, that was your first real, uh, first real time with Oregon wine. Yeah, yeah, truly. Yeah, my mom had done a few tastings um, at different facilities with like Erath and uh, a couple of other places, and she would always say like, "These wines are phenomenal." I can't wait for you to try them. And I was like, that's rude that you would tempt me like that. <laughs> like, you know, it's like when you know that I can't drink right now. Um, but yeah, she was always blown away by Willamette Valley wines. And we would come up here periodically because my whole family went to University of Oregon, except for me. So we would come up here to visit family friends. My dad also coaches basketball on the side and they would do big summer tournaments up here. So we would come up here for that as well. And it was always 4th of July weekend. And so we would, my mom would pop in and out of different wineries here and there. And at the time I still couldn't drink. So I would come up and 
you know, look at the properties and I was like, my God, people get to work here. This is amazing. Like I, I would love to do something like this. So it always just stuck with me. And then once I was able to drink, we happened to be able to taste at Annamie. And I remembered trying the white Pinot Noir from Annamie in my class. And then I got to taste it up here and look at the estate. And I was like, oh my God, like it was just like, this is, it's all coming together. This is where I need to be. Mm -hmm. So it was, a, it was a great experience. Mm -hmm. So I know you end up at, at Anime at some point. So yeah. tell me about, did you did you get started in California or did you come up? No, you, you so right Anime was my first job in the industry and it was complete and total happenstance. So that tasting was two years prior. Um, and I had one of my good friends living up here at the time and I promised her that when she got her dream job, I would come up and celebrate with her. So she called me and she says, well, friend, pack your bag. I got my job, come up. And I was like, oh my God, I can't wait to celebrate. She goes, yeah, we're gonna go wine tasting. It'll be great. So I come up, um, she wanted to take me to screen door. She wanted to give me the full organ experience. And um, she, she had me go stand in line because I learned that, you know, you have to wait for a good two hours to get in there in the morning. Um, and I was standing in the line and I met um, the siblings in line and we started having a great conversation. And by the time my friend got up, we were all chit-chatting and having a great time and we decided to have breakfast together. So we're sitting at the table talking and he was like, we haven't even asked you like what you're doing up here and like what you want to do. So I was telling them about my friend and then I said that I was starting to look at jobs very casually in the wine industry to see where I would land. And he was like, do you want to work up here? I said, yeah, like ideally in a perfect world, I would love to work in the Willamette Valley somewhere. And I was like, just maybe for a season and see where things go. And he was like, well, if you could work anywhere, where would you want to work? And I said, oh my God, Anime Vineyards. Like, I would love to work there. I think Thomas's wines are beautiful. I've always had a great experience there. And he goes, well, my friend is head of national sales there. Do you have your resume on you? And my friend was like, send him your resume right now. So I email it to him and he sends it on. And my friend was like, we have to go to Anime today. Like it's, it's a sign, we have to go. So um, we finish up breakfast, I thank them, we exchange numbers. I drive out to Anime and Luke was the tasting room manager at the time. And he remembered my mom and I from two years prior and then said, somebody just emailed me your resume. Do you want to come in for an interview tomorrow? <laughs> and uh, my friend was like, yes, she does. She does. I will drive her. So, so uh, she drove me back out the next day and I got hired. Um, and I called my parents in the car and said, I think I'm... I think I'm moving to Oregon. And my mom was like, what, what just happened? I was like, I, I got hired in the tasting room. Um, they want me to start next month. And so I started looking for apartments. I got an apartment and I was up here from, I went down, went back down to LA, packed my stuff and was back up here a couple weeks later. And that's where the journey began. Like, it's still so surreal, but I was like, it was, it was truly, meant to be mm -hmm. you know and it was like i had to listen to what the universe was saying and yeah it was screaming at me at that point <laughs> so yeah that's amazing yeah that's yeah amazing. 
So what, what was that? Is a bit a big transition, life transition, job transition, yeah. state transition. Yeah. Tell me, what, what was it like? What, 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 what was the job like as you got started, and and in what ways was it like what you expected, and in what ways was it maybe different than what you were? Expecting? I mean, I definitely came in like. I, I knew that there was a learning curve for me for sure because obviously coming from the music world you know and having the opera background it's a little different um, but the one thing for me is that I am always hungry to learn as much as I can so I am known to ask a lot of questions where I'm like you say that you want it this way paint a picture for me of what you would do in this scenario, you know, and then I ask those backup questions. Mm -hmm. And it was, um, in the beginning, it was a bit of a challenge just learning some of the basics. But again, like with the course that I took, he taught us basic service. So when it came to that part, I was capable of breaking things down. The part that I struggled with personally was moving away from a particular consumer in the beginning because I wanted to make sure that we were fully engaged and having a good time but they were like you have a whole other tasting room to worry about there's all these other tables right now so that was a part for me where I always started making a more conscious effort of noticing the room and where everybody was at um, and you know making sure that everybody was getting the same experience while they were in the tasting room um, and then really watching the other people that worked the floor. I always watched our DTC manager and watched how they were engaging. I always loved watching how Thomas would talk about the wines and those were little things that I would pay attention to that if a person responded more to that particular conversation that is what I would lean towards. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it was it was really beneficial and Thomas really did help me along the way and like how to finesse the language of talking about the wines in the tasting room. Mm -hmm. What was your Im impression of the consumers you were working with? What, what was their kind of level of knowledge and interest? And in, in, in what when you, were you engaging them more when you talked about story or when you talked about soil, when you talked about varietals? What was the like? It was really a fair mix, mm -hmm. honestly. Um, and that was the part that I really enjoyed was that with every consumer, I had to really examine them and see what they wanted. Um, and that's something that I personally really enjoy because for me, that's the game, you know, where I'm like, what, what do I need to provide so you have the best experience? Um, and getting and having that chance to see like, okay, they're more interested in story. We're gonna focus on that. This person really wants to get technical. So now we're gonna dive into this portion. And some people want the basic knowledge because, and they're scared to ask the question. Mm -hmm. And it would always start off with, this is gonna sound like a dumb question. And I was like, how is it a stupid question if you don't know the answer? <laughs> you know, it's like, there is not a dumb question. If you don't know, it's my job to be able to help you with that. So it was always really encouraging when people would have those conversations with me and ask a more technical question, because all of a sudden the light bulb would come on when we would break it down in such a basic manner. Mm -hmm. And just with simple things of barrel, you know, it was like the new versus used. And I would break it down like a tea bag where I was like, well, the first time you steep a tea bag and you're getting all of that flavor, that's new oak. Mm -hmm. The more that you steep that tea bag, you get less flavor, right? And they're like, yeah. And I was like, yeah, it's the same rule applies. And they were like, oh, that's it? And I was like, yeah. That's it. So being able to simplify it mm -hmm. and say like, yeah, this is a very approachable thing. Mm -hmm. You just have to make it work for you. 
so obviously at this time you're kind of developing sort of your sort of mentality, philosophy of, of service and, yeah. of, and of hospitality. Tell me how the how that kind of came about. What, how would you describe your, your philosophy of service and hospitality and how has it maybe, did it maybe change and since, since when you started? Um, I have to honestly say it stayed, it has stayed consistent um, because I feel like the authenticity is always key. Um, so I was always genuine in my interactions with people. Um, I was, you know, genuine in being excited to really have a chance to have a conversation with somebody, learn about them, where they're from, and really have that engaging conversation. And then being able to share story with them and talk about the brand a little bit more. And that gets them excited about us. That makes them want to come back, but also I want them to come back and, you know, continue to support mm -hmm. not just not just the particular brand that I'm working for, but for the Valley in general. As you uh, kind of got to know the Oregon wine industry from as, as a now an insider, tell me about your initial kind of impressions of the other people in the industry and the industry itself. What, what was your what were your first impressions of what the industry was like? and? And, and, and the people in it as you got to know them? Yeah, I was, I was curious about it when I first began because I wasn't sure if it was going to be similar to other areas that I had been in where it was a little more clicky. And the one thing that I was pleasantly surprised by was that it was a welcoming industry. Um, and that people were excited that I was up here. You know, it was the initial teasing of, oh, we've got another Californian up here. And I was like, well, yes, but I promise I'm a good one. Like, you know, <laughs> like, like, and so we would have a lot of fun. Um, and it was great because coming out the gate, everybody was like, oh, well, come to this industry tasting, come to this so you have a chance to meet people. And p other industry folks would come into the tasting room and they're like, oh, we haven't seen you, are you new? And once we would start talking, they were like, oh, well, if you wanna meet people, come on out, come meet some folks and you know, let's have a good time. Mm -hmm. So it was nice being able to build connections slowly. And then also I just, I really had a great support system at the place that I worked. Mm -hmm. So I was very fortunate for that as well, where when I was going into work, I was going to work with friends. So I was very lucky for that. How long did it take you to, to kind of, to, to be able to confidently sell the enemy story? How, how long does it take to, to feel like you're part of the place and that you're, and that you're kind of confident and um, consistently telling the, the story? Yeah, I mean, I would say it probably took me a month to really be fully in it and saying like, I know the story. Again, I asked endless questions of Thomas because he had been there for so long. So I went to him and I went to Kim McLeod um, and there were a couple of other people that had been there for extended times and I would ask them about their history here and I would ask them about you know how the winery has grown, how it's evolved and all of that because I wanted all of that for myself so when somebody would ask me a question I was fully educated on what I was talking about. Mm -hmm. So again I am that person where I'm gonna go home and I take endless notes everybody teases me about it because now I actually have a remarkable to use so I don't have endless notebooks lying around but I take an insane amount of notes and then I go home and review that mm -hmm. and for me it's part of what brings me joy is being able to learn all of that okay. so how long did you stay on enemy and what was next for you so I was with Anami for five years. Um, I started part-time in the tasting room there, 
and then they brought me on full-time by the end of my first summer there um, and then moved up from tasting room manager to uh, brand ambassador and then it was it turned into brand ambassador slash like getting into regional sales <clears throat> and then the pandemic happened <laughs> so um, I was on lockdown in LA and I had some time to really think about what's next you know and I said where where do I want to go like how how do I want to grow what's the next experience that I want to have and I had always been curious about what it was like to work with smaller brands because you know and me at that time they were pumping out 22,000 cases so I was like okay I've done that medium size um, what would it be like working with a boutique winery where we have fewer cases to work with and the experience is obviously going to be focused differently. Mm -hmm. um, and so I just kind of started meditating on that and like what that would look like for me. And um, I had thought about working with Bertoni before because I loved the environment that he has created in his, wine, in his tasting room and the experience that he facilitates. And I said, it's so unique mm -hmm. in terms of how safe people feel there. Um, and the wines are beautiful, but also you watch people truly leave changed. Mm -hmm. And I just think that that's such a unique thing to have in a tasting room. And um, I said, well, you know, I don't know if he's hiring, but we'll see you know like maybe but I'll look at another a few other places like just in case and um, I came back and I was still with Anna Mee and we were working on things obviously I couldn't travel there were no festivals happening so my position had pivoted obviously like so I was helping in the tasting room and things like that so we could get everything adjusted and um, somebody had mentioned that that uh, Abbey Creek was looking for a new associate to bring on board and I was like I think that this might be my opportunity and so I had reached out to one of his assistants and asked you know is it can I put my resume in and see what happens and we went and sat down and really hit it off we had a really great meeting and could really see that we could work well together and you know participate in growing this brand and facilitating experience and with him opening the downtown location there were some really great opportunities there as well and um, yeah they brought me on board and I started with them uh, the end of August mm -hmm. so yeah it was it was a very interesting uh, transition especially through the pandemic mm -hmm to see what all of that would look like because we were still sort of open before everything shut down again. So there were still some casual tastings where I was getting the opportunity to learn about the experience that he likes to facilitate, learn about how he likes to talk about wines um, and the connection that I'd still be able to have with mm -hmm. the consumer mm -hmm. and be able to talk about wines behind a mask, you know, like it was a, it was a very, it was a very unique experience. But then even when we got shut down, the support that we've received has been mm -hmm. absolutely incredible. So uh, I want many more questions, of course, about Abbey Creek and your work there, but I want to back up for a second. You mentioned kind of the trajectory you had at Anime 
Uh, tell me about Brand Ambassador and, and what, what, what that was and, and how you functioned. Uh, what, what was your function as a Brand Ambassador? Yeah, so um, my whole mission was, be, was to share the story of Anime and really create a new um, experience for everybody because we had never really done festivals. We had never really done private consumer tastings. We had never really explored seated tastings and things like that, an elevated experience. And that was all things that I was curious about. That was all things that I wanted to learn. And I really wanted to spread the name of Anime because I kept saying, it really bothers me that people don't know about this brand and how beautiful these wines are. And I would go to places and I would talk about Anime and they're like, never, never heard of it. And I was like, but you live in Portland. What do you mean you've never heard of it? So <laughs> it was like, and I was like, okay, we need to get out there. Well, if I got out there, what would that look like? You know, and started to paint a picture. Um, and my mentor who was working there as our DTC manager at the time, uh, he really started guiding me through the layout of what that would look like. Mm -hmm. And he started painting some pictures for me and saying like, here's an example you might want to use. Go lay something out for me and see what that would look like for you in a sustainable way. Um, and so I started testing it out at some larger festivals and smaller festivals and things like that around the country just to kind of see mm -hmm. what who would gravitate towards us. And for me, it was really exciting because I had to sell the wine in a different way. Mm -hmm. You know, when people come to the winery, we've already got part of it in the bag because they're seeing the vine to wine right there. But when I'm out in the market, we're having to paint that picture mm -hmm. for people. So it was really exciting for me to be able to learn that different aspect of selling and really painting the picture for people. Oh, interesting when you like you say you're, you're not, the, not the only brand in the room anymore when right. you're not in your tasting room. Right. So right. Tell me about some of the strategies you developed. What were some of the successes you had? What were some of the successful strategies you, you implemented? Yeah, I mean, it was great because for me, I really got a chance to still engage with consumers but in a different in a different manner so obviously they would still want to linger at the table and i started learning that i had to figure out the elevator pitch so rather than giving the 30 minute talk about what our brand is i knew that i had 15 seconds to grab that person's attention and hopefully keep them at the table long enough to try the rest of the wines and it was great because in the beginning they sent me by myself you know to really figure out what I needed and it was awesome because it got to the point where I would get so busy at my table other brands would come over and help me and like pop bottles for me so I could pour and it was great because you know so many people had mentioned to me how competitive it can get in those environments and they were like you made this a great time. And I was like, well, again, like we're all in this together, guys. Like, you know, it's like our mission is to get everybody's brand out there. And, you know, I want people excited about wine, period. The bonus is that they like ours, mm -hmm. you know, but I want people to be engaged and be excited about what they're trying. So being able to create a really fun environment in my section was always great. Obviously, it had its fair share of challenges. Um, Mainly, I mean, really because of race, like it was there were certain things where it was really surprising for some people to see a black woman behind the table. And initially the question was always, oh, are you filling in for the people that are pouring? I was like, no, 
I am pouring. <laughs> I am your brand ambassador from this winery. And they're like, you live in Oregon. And I was like, I do. I live in Oregon. You know, it was, it was very interesting to have those conversations as well. But again, I loved it because I get to challenge their way of thinking. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't need to be an argument. We can have a civil conversation about it. But also now you can leave the room saying, I had an interesting conversation with this woman today. And she made me look at things a little differently. Mm -hmm. um, so that for me was a lot of fun. But when we would start going to bigger festivals, that's when they were like, okay, we'll have you buddy up with somebody. So you're not on your own for eight hours a day pouring for 4,000 people which was very nice for me, but <laughs> like, but I really did love it. I loved going to the festivals and being able to have that experience. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the, the challenge for you of, of trying to winnow a story down into that kind of the 15 second attention, attention grabber. Yeah. What did you find people gravitated toward? What was, what was it that people were excited about when you told the story? Uh, talking about the history, like with Anime, they were, it was such a, they have such a great storied past of having been Wob been establishing that land first. Mm -hmm. So it was great being able to start off with that and then saying it evolved into this place, you know, and here's where we're at now. And the tying in the daughters and saying that we're 100% estate grown and being able to paint this image of what we look like and, you know, saying that we're looking at the coastal range and we get that stunning sunset and everybody was always like taken aback by that and they would immediately be like oh my god i have to come up and visit and i was like yeah come up and visit you can sit on the patio have a glass of wine it'll be great and um that would be the thing that would grab them and i would always be talking to them about it while they were trying the bubbles or the prisme the pinot noir blanc you know so it was something where they're like i can have this on the patio yep come on up you know i was like i was like it'll be great so yeah that was always really fun for me bring your resume you might find your dream job while you're there right, right. <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly you never know what could happen <laughs> so let's let's talk about abby creek a little bit obviously uh you mentioned the pandemic i'm, I'm i was going to ask about this later but but uh, looking for a job applying for a job starting a job during a pandemic tell me about just that process not even the job itself but what was that like for you um i mean for me it ended up being the dream scenario because I really had a chance to learn the wines, learn, really learn Bertoni's story because I had learned it obviously in, in passing, casually, you know, when I would go there to taste, but we never had really the one-on-one -on -one time. And this really allowed us to have the one-on-one -on -one conversation of what his history is. Mm -hmm and where he envisions himself and you know where he wants to go with his with his life and for me i love that because once for me once i form that emotional connection it makes me even more invested in what i'm doing and helps me sell the story on his behalf mm -hmm. so it was um it was great it was honestly the perfect timing and then with people being able to still come in and pick up wine, a lot of them were club members. And so I would be able to talk to them and about their relationship with Bertoni and how they discovered Abbey Creek. And that's everything that helps me paint a picture, mm -hmm. you know, of how they've even seen the brand evolve and Bertoni evolve, you know? So it's been, it was, it was fantastic for me, mm -hmm. truly. Mm -hmm. 
So you mentioned kind of having a familiarity with Bertoni's story, but not really an in-depth knowledge until you met him. What what did you know about him before you started, and what was it about the kind of initial meeting with him that really pulled you in and made you passionate about telling that story? Yeah, I mean, uh, initially it was his personality. It's he can grab you, you know, and he is. He, you can have great conversations with him, which I've always appreciated, and you know that it's a genuine conversation. Um, I always have appreciated his authenticity. Like, he is a person that will not BS you, and I absolutely love that, you know, because I know that he's not going to lie to me, you know, and I was like, that is always reassuring. When you look at a person, you're like, that's a straight shooter. And we would have some great conversations. I would bring my mom in there periodically for tastings and they would have great interactions and like we would spend the entire afternoon there. I'm like, Bertoni, you closed at five and it's 6.30. Like, we all need to go home. Like, you should not be here. We are rude. We're packing it up and going. Um, so when I came on and we really started getting to have those one-on-one -on -one conversations and I got to learn about how he got started in the wine industry and what his transition was, that just moved me in a way that I didn't anticipate for mm -hmm. myself. And it was just really inspiring to see that not only does he want to, you know, create this legacy for his family, but he wants to genuinely help and mentor others so that they can grow and evolve to what they are destined to become. So it was just a, it was a beautiful thing to see and it was just so encouraging to know that like I have a boss like I'm coming into another situation where I have a boss that's like I want you to win mm -hmm. I want to see you win mm -hmm. at what you ultimately want to do mm -hmm. and um, I just I really appreciated the fact that we could have those meetings because he would always jokingly say to me like why are you hesitant about believing this? Like that I want the best for you. And I was like, oh, I'm not hesitant about it. You know, I said, but as an owner, you still have to think about the return on investment for yourself, you know? And I was like, it's just, that's how business is, you know? But it's been, it's been phenomenal to see where he's like, no, we'll make money with you doing exactly who you are being. Like just stay, stay the course and stay authentically yourself. We'll take care of the rest. It sounds very much like Bertoni. Yeah. I, can, I can hear all yeah. of that. That's yeah. awesome. So tell me about the, the role that you were hired for and, and what you're kind of, obviously a typical day hasn't really happened. Right. <laughs> right. What a typical like, day has been like for you and, and what you envision will be like for you in the future. Yeah. So I was brought on um, again in there for his brand to be a brand ambassador as well um, and to bring in a new element to uh, the tasting experiences. So. Um, right now, day to day, obviously because we're slowly starting to open back up, uh, the focus has been in the tasting rooms and because I can't really travel yet, um, it's just slowly starting to build some contacts and connections and things like that. So letting people know that we're going to be introducing some new programs and things. Um, so it's been it's been fun because we're allowed to have that time but then we also have team huddles like so we're meeting every week and we have group conversations about what the ultimate goal is what our objective is but then also like things that we just basic things that we still need to accomplish and get checklists done and everything and so that's been great for me because i've had the opportunity to learn how everybody operates mm -hmm. and um so when the time comes that the traveling does start happening, 
that way we are all secure in the communication that we have together and we can move forward efficiently as a team even though we might not all be together 24 7 mm -hmm. anymore mm -hmm. so yeah you mentioned the, the new space downtown, in addition to the original tasting room. What uh, what kind of opportunities does that present for you and what do you foresee that space looking like as things open up? So um, I envision that being an after hours spot for a lot of the companies in the area. Um, and for obviously like local members that do not want to travel out to North Plains, you know, and, or can't in the middle of the week because we're closed. Um, but it's been, it's been great because we're there until about seven. And it's been interesting to see the crowd that comes in and the experience that they're looking for. So that's really helped me gauge a lot of things. Um, but with the hotels that were around, because we're also near uh, Park Avenue Wines, mm -hmm. so with all of those hotels being over there, with the Moda Center being nearby where people get dropped off literally right in front of our tasting room, it opens up a lot of experiences that we can facilitate that normally we wouldn't be able to out in North Plains because somebody doesn't necessarily want to drive out to North Plains for our happy hour. Mm -hmm after they get off of work at five o'clock in the middle of the week. So being able to have this space that can really facilitate that um, really excites me because it's other people that can get ex exposed to Bertoni's brand. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's the potential is endless of what we can do out there. And mm -hmm. it makes me really excited. Yeah. <laughs> Counting on the days. Yes, the days. truly. <laughs> you mentioned something before when you when you were just a customer at Abbey Creek and the, the kind of atmosphere and the experience being so unique. Uh, I'm curious, uh, do you still feel that way? Do you still feel like he's offering a fairly unique experience? Yeah. And, and what's the next level then, for, if that is true? Yeah, so Bertoni's whole thing is sharing love, magic, and moments. And um, you really see that at every table. And that was something that I always experienced as a consumer. And now being on the other side and being able to facilitate that experience has been really great, you know, and being able to navigate that. But now I find people, when we've taken them through a couple of tastings, especially in downtown, they're having a great time. But now I notice them starting to ask more technical questions where they want to learn a little bit more about the estate. They want to learn a little bit more about how the wine is made. And it's been great to see because they're leaving saying, you know, that they're in love with this brand, but then also like they're getting this additional bit of knowledge along mm -hmm. with it. Um, and I just see that we can really provide a unique experience to people that may associate us with being a more casual brand. So having that surprise of saying, we've got the hip hop wine and chill, but we've also got this technical portion that you didn't necessarily expect, mm -hmm. you know? So really turning it on their, on their heels, you know, mm -hmm. and like repurposing the experience for them. Mm -hmm. So it's been, it's been a lot of fun to navigate that. And once the doors really open up, you know, being able to churn and burn. So yeah, it'll be fun. In, in, in this may may be a fair question yet because you haven't really again haven't had a typical day yet. Yeah. But I'm curious, what do you what do you think the expected experience is at Abbey Creek? What do, what do people come to? Why do people come to Abbey Creek versus someplace else? I mean, truly, it's for the hip hop, wine and chill, the love, magic, and moments that we create there because 
the whole thing is that it's so it's bigger than the wine yes we want you to come and enjoy the wine absolutely but we want you to be able to come into that space and let go for 90 minutes whatever was troubling you before you walked through that door we don't have to deal with it right now or if you want to talk about it we can i mean we've had people we've had experiences where people have broken down at the table just talking to us about life stuff that's going on with them. And it's like, it's a beautiful moment because they're trusting us in that moment to not take advantage, but to really be there to support. And I just think that that's an incredible thing that they're trusting a stranger with this, with this personal information. Mm -hmm. And we all leave changed from that experience because it's like, what an honor for them to trust me and you know it's like it's a true privilege to have that moment but how incredible is it that they can come into our space and feel that safe to reveal that to us mm -hmm. um so i just think it's a it's a beautiful thing that has been created there and the fact that we can keep that going on a larger scale just really gets me excited mm -hmm. and especially i always think about the corporate side where things are a little bit more formal and a little bit more rigid and we can we can crack that wall a little bit it gets me it gets me real excited for the opportunity so in addition to your work there obviously i know you you have other projects going on in the industry so let's talk about your wine first because that's pretty exciting yeah <laughs> how did that come about and, and what's what are your plans with that um so uh, i cannot take credit for the wine um so redolent wines um john and boyd actually created this wine because of my thyroid cancer, Boyd works at Anime as well, and he and I had a really great he and I have a really great relationship, as well as John. And um, one thing that always um, <laughs> that Boyd would always comment on was, you know, he's like, you could always see Tiket smiling from anywhere and like having a great time. And I was down at uh, the Carlton Bakery and I had ordered a sandwich to go and they put Paquette on it. And so I was like, oh, that's funny. Like, you know, I was like, I was like, it must have sounded like Paquette on the phone. And when I got back up to the winery, everybody was cracking up and, and Boyd was like, Paquette's Paquette. I like that. <laughs> so they shot me a message and they were like, how would you feel if we made this wine and named it after you and then donated the money to FICA? And it just, sorry, I always get a little emotional talking about it. Um, it just really, truly moved me because FICA has done so much for me and has done so much for my family in terms of providing support because I was young when I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer and typically it's an older generation that's diagnosed and there weren't real support systems in place for younger, young adults having to deal with this. And um, they really just created a great circle around me. And um, Boyd, was, Boyd was at the winery at the time when I was re-diagnosed, so it was literally my first Actually, the day that I found out I was being brought on full time, I found out that my cancer was back and um, they all really just surrounded me. And like, that's when we really became a family mm -hmm. and all of that just stuck, brought us closer together, but stuck with him. And um, when they said that they wanted to do this for me, I was just I was I was blown away, you know, to have people that wanted to support me that way. It was just 
mm -hmm. incredible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so they, um, they started, the first vintage was last year and then they created another one and um, they want to keep it going and donating the money to Thyka and it's just, yeah, it gets me, <laughs> it gets me a little emotional every time. Um, because it was just so thoughtful and so unexpected. Um, but to know that, you know, they wanted to do that for me, it's like, it's my family up here, mm -hmm. you know? So mm -hmm. it's, it's a wonderfully kind thing. That's truly special. Yeah. Yeah, that's really special. Yeah. And it's just, a, it's, a, it's a, a very happy accident. The naming is, is pretty incredible. Truly. That's, that's awesome. Truly, I love yeah, that. yeah. Um, in addition to that, uh, I understand you're, you're working with some organizations up here in the, in the area as well. Tell me about your, your organization work with, with the various, all the different wine organizations that we have up here. Yeah, um, so I, um, I started a nonprofit this past summer called Our Legacy Harvested. Um, and I hosted my first event actually here at Mac Market called, it was the BIPOC Block Party. Um, with everything that was going on with the protests and everybody feeling really moved to want to do something, um, I, as a result, was fielding a few phone calls of, I want to support and I don't know what direction to go. I don't know who to support. What do I do? And um, everything at the time had been so heavy. I wanted to bring some levity to something and say like this is an easy thing to do this is simple and again I always say it's like if you can make it if you can break it down in an approachable manner it makes it doable for everybody right um, and so Diana and I actually met because um, they hosted the assemblage symposium here and I was a speaker that year and Diana and I had dinner together and we were talking over a bottle and I was like, I have this idea. What would you think if we put this event together here um, and just laid it on a silver platter of how people can support BIPOC businesses and really just gave them, gave them the businesses and said, okay, like you've been asking, here you go, support them. And um, I said, I'm just gonna reach out to some people and see if they would be interested. And I had reached out to like 15, 16 different businesses and said, if I did this event on this weekend, would you be interested? And every single one of them said yes. And they were like, just tell us when and where and we're there. So I called Diana and I was like, I think we're gonna have to start planning something. <laughs> like, and I was like, cause everybody's in. And um, we started planning this and literally within a couple of weeks, like it all just, it came together and people wanted to support in any way that they could. And again, like we were in the middle of the pandemic, so we were on the phone with the CDC and we're on the phone with, you know, all of like the local officials because obviously we want people to be safe and we don't want to turn it into a super spreader, you know? And it was, um, we definitely had some moments of pause of like, should we do this? The numbers are climbing. And it just, it really worked out beautifully. Um, and I started thinking about what I wanted our legacy harvested to be and where I wanted it to evolve to. And so I said, obviously I wanna be able to support local always. And it's a great tool to use that money uh, that we sold the tickets through as fundraiser money and all of that, you know, so we can continue supporting uh, local nonprofits as well. But I said, what do I want ultimately for the wine industry, this place that has done a lot for me, but we still have some growing to do. Um, and I always 
would go back to experiences that I have had in the tasting room, experiences that I had heard about in other for other people, whether it was through Harvest or you know their DTC experience. And I said, we have an opportunity to change that. And then people are also asking, how can we make our tasting room more, more diverse and make it look like the world that we live in? And um, I said, well, I know that I can facilitate something, but I need the people that come out here to feel safe because so many don't. And so I was like, maybe I can, maybe I can rent a house. Maybe, you know, eventually I can buy a property where I can have people come out. They can live in this home together. So we have this safe space, but then we place them at wineries where they can work and they have that mentorship and they have a chance to learn whether it's viticulture production or tasting room. They have an opportunity to learn all of these different experiences, but then come home to a safe place but then also provide them community where we would have Sunday suppers and have different people from the industry gather around the table and not to talk at them, to talk with them mm -hmm. and just have a conversation so they can form these connections and form a community because that's always the one thing I felt was lacking in that sense where sure, everybody's saying what's happening is not okay, but what are we doing about it? And in the Willamette Valley, we have a really unique opportunity, in my opinion, to do something because we can set, we can set a standard, you know? We have the opportunity to set a new standard and it was really exciting to see how many people were on board with that. Um, and then with the BIPOC block party, the tickets sold out so quickly. It was something that we did not expect. So we were like, all right, so this is a thing. like. We can see that people are hungry for this. Um, and there was a woman who came up to me and she was in her late 70s and she was like, I've lived here my whole life and I've been waiting for something like this. And it just, and it broke me down and I was like, we're on to something here. And uh, hearing how hungry the wineries are for some change and figuring out how to implement that, you know, again, it was, as simple as the BIPOC party where I was like, well, if I can put it on a silver platter for people and say, here are the steps you have to take to qualify for these people to be placed in your winery, do this and I will get you the people, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and it was, it was born. So we've been, we've been working on that. Um, I just uh, took on a position as associate director with the assemblage symposium. And so um, Rachel is phenomenal and having the opportunity to partner with her and do some incredible things together, partnering Assemblage with OLH, it just, it makes me really excited because I feel like we can do, we are going to do some incredible things here mm -hmm. and really, you know, put a spotlight on the Willamette Valley and show people what we can do up here. So you're not bored very often, I guess. No. <laughs> no, uh, not really known for uh, sitting around too much. No. <laughs> so what are the what are the biggest obstacles from your in your mind to, to success? What, 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 obviously, there's a desire. Obviously, people want to support. You're mm -hmm. seeing immediate support. What are the obstacles to long-term success? What are your strategies for making for making progress oh, 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 through these various organizations? Yeah, um, really, it's gaining the financial support. Um, and 
of course the other aspect is always having people be willing to have the uncomfortable conversation. Um, obviously, talking about race and racism, that is a very uncomfortable topic for a lot of people. But the thing that I always emphasize is like, well, we can't fix it if we don't talk about it. So sometimes it is a matter of setting the ego aside and acknowledging that maybe there were some transgressions in the past that, you know, were committed and it was wrong. But again, the important thing is we're fixing it. We're moving forward. And that's always the thing that I want to emphasize. Like, it's, it can be very healthy to have the uncomfortable conversation because that's how we can heal from that and move forward. Mm -hmm. We can't forget it. It happened. But we can fix that and say, that's not going to happen again. Mm -hmm. And that's the part that always needs to be emphasized and focused on. And that's what's been great where I can be in a situation, I am surrounded by people that are in it for the same reason mm -hmm. and want to have that ultimate goal as well and are willing to have the uncomfortable conversations. And we have created this community that I feel like is just going to keep expanding because people realize, oh, it's not as bad as I thought it was in my head to have this conversation. Yeah, okay, I've made some mistakes. I'm learning, I'm growing, mm -hmm. and we're gonna make a change. Mm -hmm. So that's been, it's been an encouraging thing to see mm -hmm. um, that people are losing less of that fear and again, I say the same thing, like, it's not a stupid question if you don't know the answer. Like, sometimes all it takes is Google, you know? And when I was talking to a lot of people about things that were going on and they were like, well, I don't know where to start. And I was like, okay, well, let me break it down in simple terms. When you are making a lifestyle change, when you are learning about a new diet that you want to try, what do you do? You Google it. You take the time, you do some research, you ask friends, you refer to your doctor, like there's some professional in your eyes that you want to turn to and pick their brain a little bit. Same thing applies here. Mm -hmm. There are some things that you can Google and once you've done that, if you need further clarification, then reach out to me. But I'm not going to sit and talk to you about the black experience, you know, because again, everybody's is gonna be different. Mm -hmm. So as much as I can share with you, there's a little bit of work that has to be done on your part first. Like, I'm not a professor, you know? <laughs> it's like, there's only so much I can give you. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. So yeah, it's, um, it's been encouraging to see that people are starting to, to get that peace now mm -hmm. and say, okay, like I've been doing the work on my own. I have some follow-up questions. If you're willing to talk about that, now what can we do together? So obviously um, the industry has, is slowly getting more diverse. There's, yeah. there's been, there have been improvements in a lot of ways. You're still very much a minority in a number of ways in the industry. So does it, is it, this kind of work, is it add a burden to you? Do you feel like you have a big responsibility, like you talked about, to, to, to narrate the black experience for people? Or, or how, how does it feel fit in kind of what you want to do for the industry anyway? Yeah, I mean, um, there are days when it will feel like a burden, right? Where I'm just like, I'm tired today, guys. <laughs> like, I need to sleep. I don't want to talk about it. Um, uh, 
but for me, I was raised in a family because we were interracial. There were a lot of things that we had to deal with mm -hmm. that other families didn't. And I have a father that is extremely vocal. I have a mother that likes to have these conversations because she was raised in the Black Panther era in the, in the Bay Area. So she witnessed that. You know, they were raised in the throes of the civil rights movement. So for me, I was like, yeah, no, I'm gonna talk about it. Like, you know, and it's like, we're gonna have days where people may be uncomfortable with the conversation, but we have to have that conversation. And if something is said incorrectly, even if it was incorrect, we're gonna acknowledge that it was, it was a misstep and we're gonna move past that. But you're gonna remember that somebody said, we might not want to say it that way if that's the point you're trying to get across. Mm -hmm. And there are days, there were days, especially this summer when everything was really like amplified that I didn't want to talk about things every day and I just wanted a day of quiet. Um, and I would take that time for myself because that self-care portion is equally as important. Um, but. I would always take the time to dive into a conversation or schedule it later. You know, if people were reaching out and I would say, let's talk about it later this week. Today is a me day, you know, like we're, we're hanging out at the house with the puppy today. So, you know, we'll deal with that later. Um, so finding that balance was really, was super beneficial for me. And then also learning about the support system that I had around me. So having my my community reach out to me and having Rachel and my team from Anami reaching out and saying like, if you need us to take over a conversation or do something, I am here. Mm -hmm. um, that was really empowering to have as well because sometimes it just, you don't have the energy to. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was, um, it's been it's been good. Mm -hmm. It's been good. We've we've been balancing it. We've been balancing it. Yeah. <laughs> it reminds me so much of, of talking to Bertoni about that feeling that pressure of like I am the guy. Yeah. I am the guy who has to answer all these questions. Right. I'm the only one you know. Right. You know? And so, right. I appreciate that. That's, yeah. It's interesting. So tell me about with the projects you're starting now with Assemblage and with and with our Legacy Harvested. Um, what do you foresee? What, what's what's your goal down the line? What do you what do you want the industry to, to get from it to look like because of it? And what sort of is there an end in place for it? Do you have like a, a, a goal that you can achieve, or is it something that's just going to be an ongoing? Progress? I want it to be an ongoing thing. Um, I think it's important to have that. Um, I think it's important for people of color outside of Oregon to know that they can come here and be safe. The one thing that I mean explicitly was always told to me when I was traveling and they would hear I was from Oregon, they were like, are you okay? I was like, yeah, I'm fine. What do you think is happening there? Like just out of curiosity, what is going on? Like, and it was a real, it was a real concern for me. And I was like, what am I missing that I'm not seeing? And then I started having people that had participated in harvest and participated in other events come to me and express an experience that they had had. And I was floored by this. And I was like, I need names. I, you know, I was like, I need everything because we're going to have a conversation about this. Mm -hmm. And um, once I started learning about this, I was like, we need to, we need to fix that, you know. And I said, even if, even if it was just mis, 
if somebody misspoke, mm -hmm. the fact that that was, the fact that you thought that it was okay to say that mm -hmm. is, is problematic. And we just need to acknowledge the fact that that needs to be addressed and there's no excuse, period. Mm -hmm. And um, that was where I just started thinking about where we can go. And so once we made this declaration as an industry saying that we want equality here, we want you know everybody to feel welcomed and, and safe here, I just felt like this was the perfect opportunity to step through the door and say, well, we're gonna build this community then. And now that you've spoken it, we're all going to follow through on this mm -hmm. and it's a very easy thing to see to do you know and a lot of people just don't have haven't been given the tools you know and don't know where to look for recruiting people of color and sometimes you have to think outside the box a little bit you know where I've mentioned to some, like it's as easy as reaching out to the Hughes Society or the African American Vintners Association, you know, diversity in wine, wine unify, black wine professionals, like there's many different avenues. Ivoy, who's right here in our backyard, you know, it's there's many different resources that we can utilize, but for some reason they've never been given these tools or shared these resources. So if I can be the bridge mm -hmm. to bring that together, why not? And if I know that I can create a safe space for my brothers and sisters that want to come out here and have an experience out here, why not facilitate that? Mm -hmm. You know, when I know that we can do it and I know how amazing our community is and I know what we can give. Mm -hmm. I want to be able for, I want other people to be able to see that and I want them to feel safe when they're here. Like it was, it's the most heartbreaking thing to me to hear somebody say, I am scared to come and live in this place. They hear that I, that I live in the valley and they're like, you live in the valley? Are you okay? And it's just, it's, it's heartbreaking to hear that, you know? And, to hear some of the experiences of people of color that have lived out here, it's, it's shocking, you know? Cause I was like, again, it's 2021. We don't have time for this anymore. You know, it's like, we really literally don't have time. Like, you know, it's like, it's, it's, there's no space for that anymore. And um, I think if we just make it a part of the norm, we bring it into the culture of our wine industry I think it'll fold in perfectly. I have no doubt about that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the trainings are simple. You know, what the wineries have to do. Like, there's just conversations that need to be had. That's it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's not as complicated as people like to make it seem. <laughs> like, <laughs> just take some people like you to kind of bridge those gaps like, I, like a, you little said, so. a little finessing a little finessing yeah massaging it in yeah <laughs> so as you look ahead then to the oregon wine industry's future obviously the coming out of a pandemic coming off a, a really rough harvest as well um what does the industry look like now to you compared yeah. to like when you came into it what is what has changed and, and what do you see as you look ahead for the future yeah, it's interesting because you, in, in my opinion, you still do see a little bit of hesitancy where it's like, is this happening? Are we reopening? Um, so there is that excitement with it, but at the same time, everything's having to be planned differently, even with harvest, because some people are thinking about the fact that 
they don't want people out here that aren't fully vaccinated. So if they're not vaccinated, what's that gonna look like? Are we still gonna have to manage things? You know, like how are we gonna have to monitor it now if some are vaccinated and some aren't, do we have them in separate locations? What is all of that gonna look like? And even with internships and bringing out scholarship people for Our Legacy Harvested, that was all stuff that I had to think about safety-wise. You know, so I said, maybe we pause on that portion of flying people out here, but let me look locally and see who's interested in doing it locally. And so that's something that I've also been talking with a few wineries about because they normally are looking for the international students to come out. And for me, I have reminded folks like, well, you know you've got people in Portland, you've got people in Washington, you've got people that can get in a car and drive which is much safer than getting on a plane. So there is still an opportunity there. You just have to look through different channels. Mm -hmm. And so seeing that wineries are starting to pivot and look at that is really encouraging. Um, but in terms of where we're going, I mean, it's there's still kind of a question mark, right? It's like, I know that people are amped and ready to get out and have the experience. And you know, a, wineries are itching to reopen and really like, start providing those experiences again but we still have to exercise caution and see you know and do it carefully and methodically and just yeah get through it <laughs> get vaccinated and just go like what I <laughs> yeah yeah what about as you look down the road, five, ten years? What does the Oregon wine industry look like? What, what are you excited about and maybe what are you fearful of? I am excited to see the growth of what's going to happen. Um, the conversations that I've been hearing are just really encouraging in terms of what people want the industry to look like, especially in Oregon. That really excites me mm -hmm. um, to see that, you know, people want to just be given the tools to say like yeah we want to be the state that does it different you know we want to be the ava that looks different from everybody else you know that's um that's a really exciting thing and to see ownership really taking that on you know it's not just the people in the tasting room that are saying like we need to hire differently now it's ownership starting to recognize that things need to be done differently and seeing that some are ready to evolve and some are slowly starting to get on board you know it's uh it's been encouraging so in f like in the five ten years down the line like i really do see us being this standard for everybody else where they're turning to us and saying how did you do that mm -hmm. you know what were the tools like i think that that's a really impactful thing for other wine areas to look at us and say you guys did this in this period of time and you've created this you know not a white utopia but a diverse utopia you know where people feel safe to come into the, your industry and have these experiences and want to stay in Oregon that's incredible what did you do mm -hmm. like we really do have the potential to do that And similar question, but but for you, what do you see as you look ahead for yourself? Obviously, a lot of things going on right now, and a lot of, <laughs> yeah. a lot of things that are going to probably change in the next in the upcoming months and the upcoming year. Um, what do you see as you look ahead for your own future? What do you hope for, and, and what are you what are you looking forward to accomplishing? Um, my dream for myself is to have 
to create a campus really for um, our legacy harvested where we can create an academy like where students are coming in not only to receive their wine accreditation and all of that but we have the viticulture we have the production and we have a community for them where they can come and feel safe but they can have the lectures they can have all of that in one location um, that is a dream of mine to be able to facilitate that for people and really give them a hands-on experience and then being able to filter them out into the valley and say like you're ready go get it you know like I'm here if you need me um, I I've always seen that for myself is just kind of being like the mama bird to have been like you know my whole life of just like wanting to tend to people and I that's what I see I see for myself up here and still being in wine but also just being able to bring other people up and say this is safe we've got you you're gonna do amazing things out there with whatever you want to accomplish and I'm gonna help you wherever I can and however I can that's awesome. Thank you. That's an awesome visual. Thank I really love that. Um, with, uh, with specifically with your with your role at Abbey Creek, how do you see it rolling out, and what are you kind of looking forward to most? Um, really, just getting people excited about Abbey Creek. Like I am, I'm really excited to have the opportunity to spread the good news about what he's about, you know, and really being able to hit the pavement for him and get a lot of these corporate business folks excited about him and having him have the opportunity to make an impact with these places and really repurpose their vision on a lot of things you know so a lot of the times you know with these corporate experiences they want a formal experience and being able to come in and turn that on its head I think is a really special thing and also will break down some walls for them personally mm -hmm. and allow for some very interesting conversations to happen and I think that just opens up a ton of new avenues for everybody you know and again just makes them more excited about our brand and wanting to keep hanging out with us mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. all right last question for you yeah. we get a little philosophical I'm curious because you've brought up you've mentioned this off and on throughout the interview so I'm curious as you try to sum it up, but define for me what the, what the role of wine in society is. Um, well, again, like, I just think that wine is that piece that really, it brings people together. It allows for, um, but no, again, like, wine is this beautiful thing where it, it transports you, you know, and it, it opens up different avenues that you may not necessarily expect. I mean, Never in a million years, genuinely, did I expect I would be where I am right now. I thought that I would probably still be singing. I would be down in California, living my best life by the beach, you know, like doing all of that. And um, when I came up here, I was like, this might, this might be a thing. And it's opened up a part of me that I didn't know was was living inside so I think that that's in my opinion it's done that for so many people and like watching watching people around a table with a glass of wine it's just watching how a conversation will evolve into something so incredible I love the fact that wine is tied into that mm -hmm. so yeah it's uh it's the impact juice yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> 
I love that. I yeah. Love that. <laughs> All the questions that I have for awesome. you. Is there anything I didn't ask that I should have? Is there anything we didn't cover here today that we should have covered? No, you did great. Yeah. <laughs> well, you too. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time, Thank for you. your for your answers and your thoughts, and and uh, and for setting up setting up this great location. This was awesome. Couldn't let you off the hook. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all the supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have made our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, plus photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you by the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield University. The executive producer is Kiana Anderson. Producers are Rich Schmidt, Rachel Woody, Stephanie Hoffman, and Camille Weber. Special thanks to all the Linfield Archive students who have assisted on our oral history interviews.